Welcome to the Civil Engineering Podcast, the podcast focused on helping civil engineering professionals succeed by exposing them to interesting civil engineering projects and successful civil engineering professionals around the world. Hosts Anthony Fasano and Christian Knudsen had successful but unconventional civil engineering careers and now focus on helping civil engineering professionals achieve their goals in work and life. Welcome to today's episode of the Civil Engineering Podcast. I'm your host, Anthony Fasano, and we have a value-packed episode for you today. First, I'm going to give a brief overview of an amazing project that's currently under construction in southern China, the Juhi International Tennis Center. And my, my Chinese is somewhat suspect, so if I pronounce some of the words today on this episode wrong, I apologize. I will do my best, though, and I did, I did practice them before the show. After that, I'm going to interview Rob D'Onofrio, a 33-year-old civil engineer who is not only principal in a big firm, but he is the author of a 700-plus page book related to construction delays. How's that for developing your expertise? You know, That's something we talk about as civil engineers as being known as an expert. Well, Rob has certainly elevated himself to that status, and he'll give us all the details on how he did it. But also, he will give us at the end of the show his civil engineering career elevator advice. And that's where we ask the professional, if you went into an elevator for 30 to 60 seconds with a civil engineer, what piece of advice would you give him or her? So stay tuned for that at the end of the show. Also, my co-host Chris Knutson hasn't been with me for a couple episodes. He is transitioning over to Europe. He's going to be living over in Germany, and we're excited about that because you will hear him on some upcoming episodes at some different project sites in in Europe and possibly other places around the world. So we're looking forward to that. The show notes for today's show will be located at civilengineeringpodcast.com. Look for episode number six. The show notes will contain a summary of the key points discussed in today's episode, as well as links to any of the resources, websites, or books mentioned during the show. And again, that'll be at civilengineeringpodcast.com, episode number six. All right, let's jump right into the project segment of the show and get this show started. Civil Engineering Podcast. Civil Engineering Podcast. Okay, so as I said before, this week's Civil Engineering Podcast Project of the Week is the what I consider to be amazing Juhi International Tennis Center. The location of this project is a former aquatic pond on Hongqin Island within the city of Juhi in the Guangdong province of China. And again, my Chinese is a bit suspect, so so bear with me. The project is being built for the Women's Tennis Association's Elite Trophy, which is a brand new singles and doubles event that's going to be a pretty big event. It's going to offer a little over $2 million in prize money, and it's going to be staged in Zhuhi in southern China for the next five years, from 2015 to 2019. As far as the project size and some of the details, it's a center court stadium with 5,000 seats, a match court with seating of 1,500, and 12 outdoor training courts. The complex will also include an indoor training hall, lodging for athletes, and a tennis museum. As part of the second phase of the project, a 12,000-seat tennis arena will be constructed, and we will definitely have some photos of this project in the show notes at civilengineeringpodcast.com. The budget for this project is, and again, this is varied in the research. It shows anywhere from $60 million to $84 million. So most likely it'll be 
closer to $84 million or over if it goes like a lot of the typical projects, but it's about $84 million is the construction budget. As far as the project being over or under budget, we don't know that yet. The project is under construction and the estimated completion date is November of 2015. Just to give you some more kind of thoughts and, and tidbits about this project, the new tennis complex which will host international competitions, is located, which I think is interesting, on top of this former aquatic pond. And it's going to be surrounded by waterways. So there's going to be bridges and walkways that will allow the visitors to traverse the canals and sight lines from the seating and playing areas that will include sweeping views of the adjacent waterways. The complex was designed by the global architecture firm Populous, And it's inspired by the notion of sea waves and oyster shells, which you'll see if you check out the photos of the project. And we're actually going to try to get someone from Populous or, you know, one of the architects or engineers that worked on this project on one of the future episodes of the podcast. Some of the special design features or challenges associated with the project, even though the site had to be drained and reclaimed for the project, the soil did contain sufficient load-bearing foundation layers for the for the complex uh, based on uh, research and, and, and papers that we've seen from the design professionals. The, the layers of soil located deep below the ground level, in some cases 50 meters deep to get to the strong enough bearing soil. So it's a trem- <laughs> that's a long way underground. But as a result of this, of course, most of the site, including the buildings and the podium slabs, are being built atop piled foundations to prevent settlement. Of course, when you have when your when your bearing soil is that deep, you're going to have to use piles to get down to that soil. The benefits to society offered by this project, the complex has been designed to be used as a park and a community center once the women's tennis association competition ends. The arena itself and the practice courts will be open to the public for play and practice on non-event days. So just think about what this is going to bring to the community. I mean, first of all, this city in China is not one of the larger cities, but this construction could certainly help it to become one of them, to become a much better well-known city in China, and the opportunity for the people around there to engage in this kind of a park and this kind of an atmosphere is pretty amazing, and that's what civil engineering does. That's what civil engineering can bring to um, a neighborhood, a community, a country, and that's why we really wanted to feature this project. And again, we will try to get a design professional who worked on the project on the show, and in fact, if you know one of them, feel free to email me at afasano at engineeringcareercoach.com and make an introduction. We'd love to have them on the show. So that concludes our Civil Engineering Project of the Week segment for today's episode. If you are currently working on or have worked on an interesting and or challenging civil engineering project, we would love to feature it on the show. You can submit your projects by going to civilengineeringpodcast.com. Just click on the red button that says submit your project, and we will take a look at it and contact you to talk about it. All right, so with that, let's jump into the interview with Rob D'Onofrio. I knew early on that I wanted to be like a principal in an engineering firm. And so a lot of what I did focused on looking towards that end goal. I'm generally, I'm, I'm a younger guy. I'm, I'm uh, 33 years old now. Okay. I think it's hard to prove to people that you know what you're talking about as a younger person. And most experts... Uh, have many years of, of experience and gray hair and so it's hard to show somebody that you know what you're doing 
unless you've been doing it for 30 years. And, and to me, one way to get around that, to prove to people I was qualified and I knew what I was talking about, was to become the, the most authoritative expert as I could in that field. And publishing led me to do that. I, I would say there's no secret to success other than hard work. I mean, it takes a lot of work. And I would also tell them not to get discouraged. All right, now it's time for this week's civil engineering conversation where we talk with a civil engineering professional who has had success in their field or is striving towards a specific goal. And today's guest is Rob D'Onofrio. Let me introduce Rob briefly and then we'll bring him right in and get into the questions. Rob D'Onofrio is a licensed professional engineer specializing in claims evaluation and resolution. Before he joined his current firm, he spent five years on site at the World Trade Center construction project in New York, analyzing schedule delay and disruption disputes. In total, Rob has evaluated over $4 billion in construction claims. Rob co-wrote Construction Schedule Delays, a comprehensive 727-page book on schedule delay law and analysis, which is published by Thomson Reuters and updated annually. He has also written or co-written numerous other articles on construction delays as well. He's also presented more than 50 lectures all over the United States on, on topics of construction schedule delays. So with that, I'm going to welcome Rob in. Rob, welcome to the show. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. I'm really excited to, to kind of dig in and get to talk to you. Let me, let me start right off here. I know you spent five years on site at the World Trade Center, which, which I'm sure in many ways, uh, I'm sure was stressful, but also was probably an amazing experience as a civil engineer. Can you kind of tell us a little bit about that experience and maybe how it affected your, your career as a civil engineer? Yeah, it was an amazing project to have the opportunity to work on. Uh, I think it was a career-defining project for me. Uh, in addition to just the technical aspects of the work, I mean, uh, the symbolic, the significance of, of that kind of project and the influence it has on people around the country. I, I did an ASE podcast on uh, the 10-year anniversary of 9-11 representing the team rebuilding the site, and, and it was just very powerful. Excellent. That's, uh, that's something we'll link to. In our show notes for this show, which you'll find at civilengineeringpodcast.com, and this is uh, episode number five. So, Rob, you said it was a career-defining moment, which I, I totally understand. How do you go about getting onto a project like that? Does your did your company just you know approach you about it? Was it something that you had to say, you know, if that comes about, I'm interested in it? How did that happen? You know, it wasn't pre-planned. Um, I, I actually joined that firm just for the opportunity to work on that project. Um, and I saw an opening that they had posted somewhere, interviewed, and uh, had the opportunity to work on it. I didn't know at the time how long it would run. And I, I spent, yeah, full-time on site uh, five years. Was, it was quite a bit of work, but it, it was a very rewarding experience. Uh, and it's great to be on a project of that size. You get to see how everything fits together and the complexity. Now, you said you joined a firm, you know, because you were interested in working on that project. So is that, was that a goal of yours? Like, you know, working on big projects or what, what really, I mean, obviously it was the World Trade Center, so I could see how that could be an interesting project, but what, did you have a, a bigger career goal in mind of just being on those massive projects or? You raise an interesting point because in addition to just the symbolic, you know, historic significance of this project, career-wise, it was a very good move for me. I, I was working in claims 
at the time, but I didn't really have as much field or, or site experience in construction as I wanted to have. And I think with my goal was ultimately to get into being an expert on CPM scheduling and delay analysis. And to do that, I really needed a lot of construction experience. And so th this job gave me the opportunity not just to continue working on construction claims, but to do it in a live active project and, and get a very large project under your belt. And it's something that I think when I tell other people I spent five years working on the World Trade Center, they understand the significance of just, I mean, it was, I think, around a $20 billion construction program. Wow. Hmm, that's interesting. And I just want the, the listeners to understand, I think, the one of the most important things that Rob said in that response was that his goal, I mean, to me... If you want to have success as a civil engineer, you've got to have really clear goals. And it was obvious that Rob had a super clear goal and which allowed him to find an avenue to help him achieve it. You know, it was probably, I'm sure since, uh, I'm sure you would agree, Rob, since you had such a clear goal, it was, it was a no brainer, that type of a project, right? Yeah. I mean, when I saw the opportunity to work on it, I thought, I mean, it really fit my need to get more construction experience. I mean, you have to kind of do construction to be able to discuss it as an expert later after the fact or qualify in, in court to, to testify. Yeah. So more than just criticizing projects and how they're completed, it gave me an opportunity to get real experience. Yeah, and I, I just like the fact that, you know, I'm sh obviously like we're saying it's the World Trade Center, so obviously a lot of civil engineers might want to jump on that project, but it was clear also that Rob's, one of Rob's reasons was his goal, and I think that's the point I'm getting at because without those goals, you might miss opportunities like that or you may not be looking for the right opportunities to move you forward. So so along the same lines as, as you, you mentioned there, you know, being able to testify and as an expert, I also mentioned in the introduction, Rob, that you wrote the book Construction Schedule Delays and... I mean, first of all, congratulations. I know that it's not an easy process to write a book. And secondly, I'm not sure how you wrote a 727-page book. But um, in all seriousness, tell us about that process and the whole process of just writing a book. I mean, it's such a big thing. It's a, uh, it's a labor of love. <laughs> yeah. uh, no, I, I definitely... Um, I knew early on that I wanted to be like a principal in an engineering firm. And so a lot of what I did focused on looking towards that end goal. I mean, I think it's easy to get caught up in what you're doing day to day and not look at the big picture. Um, so trying to keep that in mind, I mean, I knew, right, I needed to get more experience. I, I think the most important thing is really learning how to do your field very well and picking that up. And that's working on a lot of projects. Simultaneous to that, I kept my, my foot in the door, networking, connecting to people, um, getting my name out there and marketing. And, and that's where, I mean, I actually started my first article, my first article that I started co-authoring with an attorney never actually got published. It's still not published to this day. It's, it was about a, a page. It's a one to two page article that we started working on and never finished. After that, the first article I had published was a small three page article wasn't really that complex, but I took an interesting notion on one aspect of, of the subject on engineering and scheduling. And that got some good feedback from people who read it. 
that led to the next bigger article. Uh, the next one I wrote was, was a much larger piece that I co-authored with an attorney who's actually now the co-author of my treatise. And, and we did, a, it turned out to be a 70-page article that got published in a, the ABA Public Contract Law Journal, wow. Constructive Scheduling and Acceleration. That ended up getting cited by a judge in a court of federal claims decision, which led to more good press and led to us signing this contract with Thomson Reuters to write the whole treatise on the subject. Wow. So it's, it's interesting. I mean, you can, you can follow a path from, you know, a small article to a slightly larger article. And it's hard to get started. But once you get started, they kind of steamrolls and one thing leads to the next. The next thing you know, you're writing larger and larger pieces and it gets easier and easier the more you do it, which led to the whole book. That's awesome. And for those of you out there, I know a lot of civil engineers really want to become experts in a specific niche or a specific discipline. And you heard from Rob that his first simple article wasn't even published. So don't, don't expect that you're going to go out there and speak for an association or write an article, get into a magazine, and then you become an expert. You're going to have to work at it. But if you do... Um, a couple of articles can start to add up and they can start to get you more exposure and, and, and more and more exposure. And Rob, what, when you had, you had this goal, obviously, which was clear, you told us about becoming a principal and obviously having expertise in the field. It, it, what, what was the reason behind that? It just as far as identifying that specific goal. I think I, both my parents are civil engineers. So I, I grew up in and around the field. Um, the goal for me was always to, you know, be a principal kind of, you control your own destiny. I mean, you're not dependent on other people for work. If you get to a point where you start bringing in your own work, then you, you kind of master of your domain. Right. So, so you're, so being a principal was your goal. And then this expert development of your expertise you saw as a, a main way to facilitate that path. I think benchmarking is very good. I mean, I, I would say look around in your industry, look around in your firm, look at people that you like what they're doing and how they've gone about with their career and try to see what paths they took to get there. Uh, benchmarking was very important. Look at what other people in the field are doing. I think in general, anything you can do to distinguish yourself from the other people in your field generally helps. And so the more, I mean, I, getting my professional engineer license was a, a very big deal to help distinguish myself from others. Um, publishing turned into an avenue that I was able to get my name out there and market to a point where a lot of people have read my publications and know me through them. So you wrote this book, which sounds like it was very, very well received. How did the book itself have an impact on you? Like, do you get calls from it? What does that look like? I do actually. I have. Um, it's been very well received by the industry, and I, I've had a number of. I think I'm generally I'm I'm a younger guy. I'm I'm uh, 33 years old now. Okay. I think it's hard to prove to people that you know what you're talking about as a younger person, and most experts uh, have many years of of experience and gray hair, and so it's hard to show somebody that you know what you're doing unless you've been doing it for 30 years. And, and to me, one way to get around that, to prove to people I was qualified and I knew what I was talking about was to become the, the 
most authoritative expert as I could in that field. And publishing led me to do that. So it's helped me. I think I've been a, I've been at this firm, Capital Project Management Inc., for a year and a half now, and I think I've been a named expert on about a dozen cases. Wow, that's amazing. I mean, listen, you 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 look young, and I knew you were young, but if I read your bio, I wouldn't have guessed <laughs> that you were 33. So congratulations. I mean, just accomplishing all this stuff at, at such, such a young age. I mean, I'm. Um, that's why I was so excited to have Rob on the show because if you're listening out there, I mean, this basically shows you that you are in control of your own destiny and it doesn't matter, you know, what anyone tells you. 33 years old, uh, Rob's worked on one of the biggest projects in the world, essentially, and he's written a, a over 700-page book. Now, Rob, let's get into the, the subject matter a little bit for just a few minutes. Um, construction schedule delays. What what is it about that topic that I guess got you interested enough to want to you know develop that expertise? So I did an internship for my current firm, Capital Project Management Inc. in in between undergrad and grad at Cornell University, and that led me to I really liked. It's basically CPM scheduling. I'm essentially a CPM scheduling expert. CPM scheduling generally falls under civil engineering. And so there's a lot of civil engineers that get involved in both construction and CPM scheduling. Delay analysis is the crossover of CPM scheduling and legal entitlement issues like construction law. So there's a lot of construction disputes end up in court and litigation proceedings. You get decisions that everyone needs to follow they go back and circle around to CPM scheduling and how you treat delays on an active project. So it ends up kind of crossing over those disciplines. And I I found it fascinating. I found the dispute aspect fascinating. I think in addition to the technical aspect, which you can master, it's not too hard to pick up the technical aspect. And then the law was a very interesting kind of side effect of that. (laughs) So would you say that today in what you do, do you work on both the, uh, the project management side of projects from the construction engineering side of it and the legal side, do you get involved in both? Yeah, I, I would say so. Right. I, part of my clients now is advising on real time projects and, and helping administer the contract and helping oversee claims or avoid and resolve delay claims. And the other part is more after the fact litigation where they need experts to opine on what happened during the project, but you only get involved in a litigation proceeding. Okay. So there's kind of both sides of it. You'll be advising people during construction and you'll get involved with people that need assistance if something went wrong and there's some kind of uh, litigation. Yes. Okay. All right. So this sounds all amazing and I hope everyone's kind of soaking this up. I think there's a lot of really good stuff that we, that we've talked about a bit. I, I, I was going to ask you what are some of the factors in your civil engineering career that uh, really accelerated your development, but I would assume that we pretty much covered them already with the World Trade Center and the book. Is that, is that accurate? Yeah, the, the one thing I, I wanted to add, I mean, as far as writing the book, I mean, it definitely takes a lot of work. I mean, I did it all outside of work hours. So it was nights, weekends. Um, I spent a lot of, I mean, I gave up a lot of activities you know, watching sports on, on weekends or, you know, running around and, and 
you know, partying and, and definitely put a lot of time and effort into it. I, I don't know, to me, you really have to put in time to get ahead. Like there's no secret to success other than hard work and, and putting in your time. And, and so, I mean, that really was the biggest factor in leading to my kind of career success both in learning the material and then in trying to show other people that I knew what I was talking about through publishing. Yeah, that's, that's great. And I, and I would just add to that to build on what Rob said earlier. I think that, I mean, I, you know, I've written a book myself too, and, and Rob's right. You know, you do give up time. You do sacrifice something. It's a trade-off for something that you want. But I think what was great about what Rob said earlier on was that he had such a clear goal. So at least he knew that all the time and effort that he was putting into writing this book was moving him closer to his goal. I think one of the dangerous situations that a lot of engineers get into is they're not sure what their goals are and they might end up going after a, a master's degree, a PhD, you know, writing publications, researching, but they're not exactly sure that that's what they want to do. And in fact, I've, I've had a couple of coaching calls with a couple of engineers that literally decided to, to leave the PhD program because that wasn't what they wanted to do. So I think my point that I'm trying to drive home here is I think Rob's dead on is that, you know, you need to put in the dedication, the time, the hard work. But I would also, you know, warn you that you want to make sure that you're putting it into something that you're passionate about and that you want to move forward. And, you know, Rob had that clear. I mean, he was obviously clear on that. He took the right steps now. So that's I think that's something to keep in mind. Um, Rob, you said your parents were civil engineers, so they may be part of the answer to this next question, but was there mentors or a mentor that, that helped you along the way with all the stuff that you've been able to accomplish already? Absolutely. Um, I had a, a lot of really good mentors um, you know, coming up in my career and moving up. Um, my parents were definitely mentors, but, but really a lot of my development was outside mentors as well. Uh, and, and a lot of them they didn't really find me and I wasn't connected through work. Um, I went out and proactively found them. I, I found people in the industry, some of whom I'd already known or, or met at conferences or knew through, you know, connections. My parents knew them. Um, but even ones I didn't know, I mean, I finding a senior person at my firm and just going up to them and asking them if, you know, they had some time to answer questions you know, starting a dialogue with them, asking them for advice, and I've developed some really good relationships. Uh, one, one of my, one of my uh, largest mentors was a, uh, an, an expert who I worked with at, at uh, my former company, and, and he co-authored another law book on schedule delay analysis. So he kind of taught me what he knew, um, walked me through how, how to use cases, uh, another mentor of mine was a um, professor at Columbia Law School, and he taught a construction law class that he, I knew him through, a, it was like a family friend, but he convinced me to take his class when I moved to New York, which I did at night outside of, of work, and uh, really learned more about that aspect of it, and both of them, I, I still stay in touch, touch with both of them. Wow, that's awesome, and it's a great point that he wrote a book on a similar on a similar topic because what I try to stress a lot of times 
to engineers is that if you're trying to find a mentor, try to find a mentor that has achieved goals, you know, that you're working towards. And I think Rob made that clear that, you know, that's pretty much essentially what he did. And, and Rob, I usually get the question a lot, um, you know, how do you find a mentor? And was it through just networking and professional associations, stuff like that? Yeah, or, or finding somebody at my firm that was in a position, you know, that I, I really liked what they did. I wanted to be in that position, and I just start talking to them. I mean, I you strike up a dialogue, you know, communicate the email, call them sometimes, ask them questions. Uh, and I've, I've been lucky that the people that I've been interested, role models to me that I've contacted and tried to, to get as mentors, have also been interested in giving back you know, helping direct me with my career, teaching me how to think, not so much telling me what to do, but, but teaching me how to, how to think, how to address problems. Awesome. Awesome. All right, Rob, I got a couple more questions that I'm going to ask you that I'd like to ask all of our guests on the Civil Engineering Podcast. Are there any specific rituals that you practice every day, whether it's in the morning or at lunch or certain things that you do consistently on a daily basis that contribute, you know, to you being successful as a civil engineer? That's an interesting question. I, I don't think I do have any any rituals. I, I mean, I enjoy what I do. I think that's the most important part. I enjoy being an engineer. I enjoy the work. I really enjoy, um, you know, working hard to succeed. And I spend a lot of time working, but it's kind of sporadic. I mean, I try to take time to travel with my wife. My wife and I love traveling. Okay. We take time out to do that, trying to force things into your schedule. Like if I want to, you know, watch a sporting event with friends or take a trip with uh, my wife, classmates, making time for people. I mean, there'll always be more work. Sure. So I, I think it is important to take time off, even while I'm, spending a lot of time working and working hard. It's important to take time off and enjoy life. Is there any um, productivity type of, like in other words, do you set your day up a certain way? Do you try to, you know, get your stuff ready in the morning? Is there anything like that that you do regularly or? No, the only thing I would, I would advise is to try and, and get sleep as much as possible. Okay. I think a lot of people give up sleep. I mean, it's hard to find time in the day. Uh, productivity wise, I think you end up being much more productive if you get a lot of sleep and, and trying to, if you look at sleep studies, they talk about like waking up at the same time every day, getting into a routine that way. Even if you stay up too late one night, you still wake up at the same time and then you just go to sleep earlier the next night as much as you can. And I I think, I mean, I wake up early on weekends a, a lot of time too instead of, you know, binge sleeping. And, and actually, I get a lot of writing done on my book um, on weekends. When I, I wake up early, I'm fresh. Keeping that routine, um, that helps a lot. Mm, that's interesting you say that because I'm holding my hand. I just read a book called uh, Sleep Smarter, 21 Proven Ways to Sleep Your Way to Better Body, Better Health, Bigger Success by Sean Stevenson. I'll put it in the show notes. It's an excellent book. And actually, some of the stuff that, that Rob just talked about is in that book as well. And I, I found it to be very helpful for me with productivity, just, just getting the right amount of sleep, which is, which is a great point. All right. What is one book, speaking of books, one book that you recommend to engineers regularly or just one book that you have found to be extremely helpful in your professional and or personal development? I like a lot of books. <laughs> and and I, would, 
if I had to pick one that I would recommend for advice to others in this field, uh, I would say Dale Carnegie's How to Win Friends and Influence People. I think engineers handle the technical side very well. It's getting into the marketing, the business development, like getting your name out there. I think one thing to keep in mind, I mean, he basically says, don't say anything bad about anyone. And I think we're in a competitive field too. I mean, you're competing with others, both within and outside your firm. I think it helps just to stay positive and and not really say bad things about anyone. And and I, several times that that's helped me in my career. I mean, people I might have said something bad about, you know, I ended up getting along with them. Like I, you know, developed a good relationship with them. Just just staying positive. Okay, great. I mean that that book seems to be the answer quite often, and it is an awesome book, and I listen to it all the time myself. Um, and you're right, it helps you with a lot of those interpersonal skills and being able to deal with people. And I think everyone knows that if you're a civil engineer, there's no doubt about it, you're going to be dealing with people, whether it's on projects, on teams, you know, other consultants, whatever the case may be. So I love that. And before I ask the last question, Rob, I just thought of one more question I'll ask quickly. You kind of answered this a little bit before when you're talking about kind of traveling with your wife and stuff, but I would imagine that you do work a lot, like you said, because, you know, first of all, you're in construction, which I know is a, a pretty, can be a pretty stressful industry. Plus, you've gotten these different accolades like your book, and I know you update it constantly. So beyond the traveling, you know, which you would do like every once in a while, is there something that you do on a regular basis to kind of help you de-stress? Like, is it, whether it's like working out or just taking a walk or like anything to like kind of settle yourself down? Or- yeah, I, I enjoy... You know, going for a run or playing soccer. Um, I used to make, when I lived in New York City, before I moved out of the city last year, I used to play a lot more, at least once or twice a week. Okay. Uh, n- now it's, you know, over the summer season, maybe every other week I get out, run, play some soccer. Okay. All right. I'm just asking because, you know, you've accomplished so much. And I know that, you know, when you try to accomplish a lot, you have to, you know, you don't want to get burnt out. So I would imagine that a lot of people listening to the show are probably wondering, like, I don't know how this guy did all this stuff at 33, and he still seems like a, you know, a healthy, young, healthy guy. But um, My wife and I don't have any kids yet. I mean, that definitely gives us more free time than I'm assuming we would have when we start having kids soon. Okay. The other part of that, I mean, yeah, we, we enjoy, you know, staying in, watching television shows in the evening, you know, some movies. I mean, not really running around and, and going crazy. So it's that it definitely helps trying to relax and just, okay. I mean, going, and different people relax different ways. I mean, maybe for you going out is relaxing. I, mean, I, I enjoy staying in. Okay, great. All right, Rob, to close out the show for today, let me ask you one question to kind of leave our listeners with some career advice. If you were to meet a civil engineer in an elevator and you only had 30 seconds with him or her, and they were asking for just general career advice, what would you tell him or her? I, I would say there's no secret to success other than hard work. I mean, it takes a lot of work. And I would also tell them not to get discouraged. I think especially for, for people coming out of school, um, it's really easy to get discouraged. You're the low person on the totem pole. Everyone gives you the, the least desirable assignments. Um, 
a lot of times you just have to try to find a way to work through it. Uh, if you feel like you're getting stuck, I think you might try some other avenue to get ahead in your career. Maybe it's, for me, it was publishing a paper on the side outside of, of work, um, but doing other things to help your career because you really have to put in the time. Awesome. All right, Rob, thank you so much for taking the time today. I know you're super busy and just thank you so much for sharing the information. Thank you, Andy. All right, so please remember you can find the show notes for the episode at civilengineeringpodcast.com. Look for episode number five. We'll list a summary of the show. We'll put some of the links to the books that we referenced, uh, Rob's book, his company, other things that we talked about. We'll link up to everything in the show notes. And until next week, I wish you the best in all of your civil engineering endeavors. Thank you for listening to the Civil Engineering Podcast. Be sure to visit civilengineeringpodcast.com where you can listen to past episodes and also submit your project to be featured on the show. We also invite you to visit our main website at engineeringcareercoach.com and download a free three-part video series created specifically for engineers to help you best utilize LinkedIn for networking, improve your communication and speaking skills, and also help to develop your leadership abilities. Now is the time to engineer your own success.